Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson and Bridget Spackman, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. This is going to be a very fun episode. We are looking forward to it. We receive a lot of TSHs. Y'all know time-sucking hurdles, right? Those things that are just taking away all of your time. But unfortunately, we can't always include them in every podcast episode, right? Like we receive more than the number of episodes that we do. So in today's episode, we are going to share 10 extra TSHs and we're going to respond to them. Yeah. So should we just go ahead and start? I mean, I I feel like we're not in our normal flow because like, you know, normally we all do the TSH. We have like a a whole thing that we kind of build up to. But I think we're just going to go for it. Let's just do it. Okay. So let's let's start off with a TSH from Mandy. Mandy says, my time sinking hurdle is moving between different programs to communicate with my students. I'm using Canvas, which is our LMS, ClassDojo, email, our county grade book, Clever, paper, clever papers, etc. <laughs> I would love to focus on one program, but students and their families have preferences and do not all respond through the same mode of communication. I understand that, but it is taking a lot of time. Thank you both for your creative tough love podcast each week. You have helped me improve as an educator and person. Oh, I'm happy she mentioned tough love because yeah. I feel like I'm going to give a little bit. <laughs> okay. Here's where my mind went when you read that. It made me think about, and I'm not a parent, so I'm just saying this from things that I have observed. I feel like when parents give their kids too many options, it's almost like you're giving the kids a little bit too much power, right? So I think about if a parent is giving their kids like, well, what do you want for dinner? And like one kid wants mac and cheese and another kid wants hot dogs and the other kid wants green beans. That's never the case, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. And then you're catering to all of these different needs. I also think about like if you're letting your kids pick out clothes and they're picking out this and that. I feel like it would be best to give two choices. So like if you're a parent and your kids are like, well, what's for dinner? And you're like, well, we can have hot dogs or we can have mac and cheese. Those are your two options. Pick the one you like the best. It may not be exactly what you wanted, but you're going to pick the one that you like the best. So when I think about parent communication, I understand not all parents rely on the same mode of communication, but I feel like you have two. So for me, in my past experience, the main way I communicated to parents was through email because pretty much everyone has an email address, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there were a few parents who really preferred phone calls. And so when needed, I would communicate with them through the phone, but that was it. So looking at this long list, you mentioned Canvas, which is your LMS. Um, We used Google Classroom and it would send parents like a summary email at the end of the week. Otherwise, I did not communicate with them through there. You mentioned ClassDojo. I use ClassDojo and I'll be honest, I used it one year where I communicated with parents through it and then it just became too much. So I stopped adding parents to it and I just used it in my classroom and that was it. You mentioned the county grade book. Um, same thing, my my county grade book was always connected so parents could respond through an email and it would go to my email inbox. So I wonder if there's a way to kind of integrate that or just direct parents and be like, hey, instead of responding through the grade book, please send me an email at this email address. You may have to kind of train them to get to that point. I don't know what Clever is. Bridget, do you know what Clever is? I, I have no idea what Clever is, no. Okay. Um, and then you also mentioned papers. 
I know there may be some parents that really rely on papers. Um, but again, I feel like if you if you trained them to rely on emails and you sent all of that digitally, they would get used to it. I yeah. think when you give people too many choices, they're going to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I will tell you just from experience, especially being in a school that is very technology driven, one of the things that I've noticed with families is that they have a resistance to learning the technology. Because why? We didn't go to school that way. Okay. We went to school when it was all paper. So we received everything in paper. So a lot of these parents are wanting to rely on old school information. They want to see the things in paper because that's what they're used to. They're resisting this idea of technology. And so they don't want to take the time because they're busy probably. I mean, let's just be honest. They got a lot going on, especially with, you know, multiple kids and they've got work and multiple schools, all the things. But they don't want to try and figure other stuff out. And so at the beginning of the year, whenever I have like my back to school night where I'm sitting there talking with parents, we do Class Dojo. We have Schoology, which is our LMS. We have Skyward, which is where they see the grade book for students. I have my email. And yes, I do collect papers. Like I do certain things like that as well. But I will tell families just right there, I said, do not communicate with me through Class Dojo. I do not look at my Class Dojo every single day. That is just not what it's there for. It is there for you to give a report on your student, on your child, and as far as where they are behavior-wise, but that is it. If I have anything that I feel as though I need to communicate through to you with, I will do that through email. And they need to communicate with me through email as well. And that is it. Schoology, if they message me through Schoology, what's nice is that it does send me an email so that I'm able to respond through email. So I don't have to really worry about that piece of it. But I think we have to help parents understand how to use that and tell them that this is it. Like, this is what we got to work with. Like, I get it. You're probably not loving it, but it does get easier as the more you do it. Like, and, and that was one of the big things that when we started transitioning to Schoology with this school, because I think I joined the second year that it started, um, we, I, we basically sat there and said, listen, it's not going away. Technology is not going away. And so we have to find a way to be able to work together and figuring out how to use it. Um, now, I do have maybe like a couple of parents who don't have internet, don't have this or that. And I will send them a paper. Sometimes I just chicken scratch a note to help them because that's to help support them because they don't have those those materials. So I think you just got to kind of work with your family and give them a little bit of tough love. Just like we give you tough love, you got to give your parents tough love. Yeah, I think there's always going to be exceptions, you know, like those parents that don't have internet, which you can even print out the email that you're sending to other parents. Like, yeah, it can be that easy. That's but a I great think, idea. <laughs> oh, thanks. I just thought of it. Um, but I think your idea of like teaching them how to use it is huge. So like when you're having a back to school night, spend five, 10 minutes to walk them through the steps and then they have no excuses. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Moving on to the next one. This TSH is from Liliana. Liliana says, I love people. Don't get me wrong, but my TSH is other teachers. <laughs> they want to have side conversations during meetings. So then we don't finish group tasks on time. And then our meeting time gets extended past our contract hours. They stop by after school or during my prep time with a quick question and stay for 20 minutes. Any tips for dealing with coworkers who keep sucking your time? <laughs> Liliana girl, you are not the only teacher that has sent us a TSH like this. Can I say, y'all, listen, you, there are so many of y'all that are out there that have this exact same time sucking mm -hmm. hurdle. Like it's your coworkers that are literally taking up your time. And I 
am right there with you. Like, I get it. Like, I totally understand teachers coming in and talking to you. I feel like sometimes we've got to grow the cojones to be able to say, listen, I don't have time for this. I got to get my work done. And you got to do it respectfully, right? We have to learn how to respectfully tell somebody, I, I really need to get to work right now. Like, I don't have time for this. And I feel like we are always trying to be nice to everyone, that we are always trying to be um, that person that other people can go to. But at the same time, you have to kind of stand up for yourself. It's kind of like, you know, being bullied. You got to stand up to the bully. Obviously, these teachers are not bullies. I mean, I'm hoping (laughs) that these teachers are not bullies. But do you get that? It's like a metaphor, right? You get Mm -hmm. the metaphor. Like, you have to stand up to this teacher and just say, listen, I really, I like, I cannot focus. I literally said that in a meeting one time. Like there were all these little side conversations and I don't know about y'all, but I cannot focus when I hear all these little conversations. And finally, I just turned around and I said, listen, y'all are making it really hard for me to pay attention right now. And I am trying to be a good student. (laughs) So I say it in a joking way, but I'm also very serious when I turn around to those teachers and I talk to them because at the end of the day, like I'm there to do a job. And if they're really interfering with me trying to do my job at the best of my ability, I just got to say something. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned like doing it respectfully. I think one of the best ways to do that is to communicate your why. So if you're frustrated that you're not getting your prep done because then you have to stay late after school and then that means you're not getting to the gym or you're not getting to your kid's soccer game, communicate that with them. I think that that's one of the easiest ways to get them to fully understand when you're like, hey, guys, I'd love to stay and talk, but I've got my kid's soccer game to get to. And if I don't plan, like I'm not gonna be able to get out of here. So communicate your why. I think as Bridget said, like being able to have the cojones to just stand up to them and and say what you're honestly feeling. I think to go along with that, please, 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 please do not go to your admin and complain to them without talking to the teacher first. Now, if you have tried to talk to them and nothing's changing, then sure, bring in reinforcements. But I personally find it kind of disrespectful, I guess is the best way to put it, when teachers will go to admin for things without ever talking to the actual person first. I just find that very unprofessional. Um, That is a really great tip. Yeah. But a couple like quick tips. First of all, if you're getting caught in the hallway, because this used to happen to me all the time, um, I would walk with like a clipboard with a piece of paper on it. And I would be looking very intently at the piece of paper as I walked down the hallway. So that way I didn't get caught talking to anyone because they would see me and they're like, oh, like she's in the middle of something. Y'all, there was never anything on that paper or nothing I really needed to be looking at. But I just used it as a way to kind of make it seem like I I was busy. And that way I wouldn't get caught in those conversations. And y'all, please don't think I'm an awful person. This was not all the time. But let's say it's, you know, 10 minutes before the end of contract hours. I'm just running to check my mailbox real fast and then I'm out of there. I don't want to get caught up in those conversations, so I might use that strategy. Or if a team teacher pops in my room, or even if I pop into their room, I always like to initiate it by saying, hey, I only have five minutes, but, and that way it's kind of setting the tone from the get-go of like, these are, this is the amount of time I have, and then that's it. And then give them like a warning. So after you've been talking for a bit, if you're like, hey, I got to get going, you can be like, hey, I, I have to leave in two minutes. That way they kind of see it coming, and it's not this like abrupt, I got to go. We we can't keep talking. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no. Those are some really great tips. And at the end of the day, I mean, 
I feel like if you're respectful and you, like you mentioned, communicate what it is that you have going on, other people will understand. And it hopefully will just kind of bring them back and say, yep, let's finish this. Let's get it done so that we can, that way we can keep going. Or at the end of the day, if you have to, you could just say, listen, so I only have the two minutes left. Why don't we just finish this? And then we can work on another time to be able to, you know, Mm -hmm. complete whatever other tasks that we have to complete or give them jobs to do at home and just say, finish this and bring it back, have it ready to go so that we can all have our, our jobs done. Yep. Um, so looking at the next TSH, we have one from a top teacher. So this top teacher says, my best friend and coworker is amazing, but she is not on the same mission as me to reduce time spent planning. When we work together, I try to be really productive and get stuff done ASAP, but she will go on tangents and get distracted. When I say I have to leave at a certain time, she'll say, oh, I'll be at this for a few more hours. What can I do to maintain the relationship while also being productive? Honestly, it sounds like this team teacher already has the right idea. The like it sounds like she's establishing those boundaries, like saying mm-hmm. that she's going to leave at a certain time. Ultimately, you can only control what you can control, right? Exactly. Which in this situation is yourself and your own habits. As much as we hope that other people will kind of take, you know, some of those strategies from us and be more productive, we can't control them. And I think this goes back to our last episode, 089, we talked about like, does balance really exist? And we discussed how for some people working late might actually bring them comfort. Maybe they don't want to go home. And we never, you know, we may not know exactly why, but I think it's just important to keep in mind that everyone's in a different season of life. And for this teacher, that season of life may mean staying late and working and that's okay. You can't control them. So it sounds like you're doing the right thing. I mean, you're, you're setting your own boundaries, you're sticking to them and ultimately you can't control them. I think what you're doing is right. It sounds like you are maintaining that relationship and you're doing what you need to do in order to be your version of productive. And ultimately your best friend and co-teacher, they're on their own. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. What do you think, Bridget? Yeah, I mean, I think we we definitely, if you view it as a relationship, I mean, we're all going to have things that we don't like about one another, right? Things that just kind of drive us a little bit crazy. But here's the thing. You're not going to be able to change that person. They have to be able to recognize that they need to make changes if that's something that they want. If that's not something that they want, then you got to let them do what they want to do. Now, as far as it was when you guys are coming together and you're trying to plan and you're trying to be productive, if you try to help someone who, let's say, does have a tendency to get on tangents, give them specific tasks that they need to be focusing on. Um, That has always really helped me, especially when it comes to like working with my team. I will say, hey, I need you to do this, you to do this, you to do this. And then that way it helps to kind of limit the, all right, well, let's try to kind of plan this together. Instead, everybody has their own individual tasks that they're responsible for that they have to bring to the team. And you can even send these out ahead of time and just say, Hey, when you come to this meeting, can you know, so-and-so have this, 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 this. So we're ready to go and we can get it done as quickly as possible. Um, And hopefully that does help. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to change people completely. Like that's just not going to happen. So you have to be able to work with their strengths um, and identify like the weaknesses that they have and be able to work around those. Yeah. I think what you just mentioned, Bridget, is really important to remember that whole coming to the meeting with set responsibilities 
you know, I think to some of my old coworkers, and I think we all just had different work habits. And so it's not that like one person was totally unproductive or gets distracted. We all just kind of worked in slightly different ways. And so rather than trying to change each other, we would sit down, be like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. We leave the meeting. And when we would come the next time, that stuff was all expected to be done. So I think also setting expectations is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Next TSH is from Sherry. Sherry says her TSH is emails. (laughs) With emails come so many tasks. I actually read the email in the late evening so I can try to knock a chunk out, but new emails show up by the time I get to work. The first thing I do is read emails. My lunchtime is used for continuing to read and respond to emails. When is the best time to check your email? (laughs) I I think this is a huge debate, right? Um, Because we know that emails can be time consuming and we know that we can spend all day long just looking at our emails and being able to check them. And it's hard to tell teachers only look at it at the very beginning of the day and at the very end of the day, because I don't know about other teachers out there, but a lot of communication comes toward to me at specific, like randomly that I need to take care of immediately. For instance, you know, um, a student has something left in the office. For some reason, my office doesn't call my room. They just send me an email and then hope that I see it. So I have to be able to tell students, hey, go get that because I just got an email from it. I also will get emails like, oh, so-and-so student is going to be going home this way. Again, not something that I feel like I used to get slips in other schools where they would be notified at the end of the day that, oh, you're going here, you're going here, and I could pass it out. But I'm responsible for telling those students that. So it's not easy for me to be like, only check your email first thing in the morning and then in the afternoon and then that's it. Don't touch it after that because everybody's situations are just a little bit different. But what we can tell you is is to create a system, right? So if you say that I'm going to check my emails, maybe it's like three or four different times a day. Just have a system that you need to work with. So it might be that certain emails you're going to respond to at a later time. So you read it, you quickly look at it. It's not something that you need to deal with right then and there at that moment. You can put it into a folder that says respond, okay? And so, or you can flag it or something to that extent. So you move it over. And so that way you're you're only keeping on top of the emails that are absolutely uh, imperative to that moment versus you trying to answer answer them all at, you know, at that time when it comes in. Does that make sense? So you might have um, the morning and the afternoon to answering those lengthy emails that don't necessarily have like a time constraint on it. Um, but then the other emails, you're kind of just sorting through them as the day goes along. Yeah, I think the whole like speed reading and deciding whether you need to do something with it or not is huge. I used this a lot in the classroom where I would open emails and read them, but I would not respond. I typically liked to sit down and respond to emails like first thing in the morning. And I think it's important to remember like exactly what you said, the fact that you are always going to get more emails, right? And so this idea of like constantly staying at the zero inbox, meaning you have processed every email, it's not realistic, right? Like you get to that zero inbox maybe in the morning, but an hour later, you're no longer at a zero inbox and that's okay. I've heard a lot about how you should not check emails like very first thing in the morning. Like you roll over, you turn off your alarm, you open up your phone, you probably go on like social media if you're anything like like me. Don't open up your email inbox, because then you're really letting that kind of 
control and dictate your day. So I think it's okay to respond to emails in the morning, but it shouldn't be the first thing that you do. Get up, get ready, get to school, and then maybe you sit down and you allot 15 minutes to answering emails. It's crazy when I set a timer, the number of emails that I actually get through when I'm trying to be diligent about like responding to them, it's amazing. I get through like three times the number versus when I just like sit down and kind of casually respond to emails. Like if I'm diligent about it, I get through a lot more. Um, And I know like Bridget mentioned, like getting emails saying that so-and-so is going home this way. Those are emails uh, that I would read and I would take care of it with that student. So I'd be like, hey, Johnny, like mom's coming to pick you up today. I would tell them I still would not respond until the end of the day. And I'm like, look, Johnny's going to go the way Johnny needs to go. So mom will obviously pick him up. Mom will know that I read the email and I'm going to respond later. And it's okay. Like, and I think that's also establishing trust, right? Like my parents knew that I'm going to read the email. I may not respond, but they ultimately knew that it was going to get taken care of. Right. And if they were that paranoid, they could reach out to the office and the office would usually call me. So I personally would say to establish those times when you're going to actually process your emails, most likely in the morning and the afternoon, stick to it, allow yourself to read emails throughout the day, but you don't have to respond in the moment and that's okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Let's move on and hear a TSH from Beth. Beth says, intending to quickly make some slides for a lesson and then getting sucked into changing them and adding graphics, changing font and generally trying to make them all look really nice. Two hours later, lesson still not done. <laughs> that two hours later part was in like the SpongeBob voice. Yeah, you know I was about? trying not to do it totally, <laughs> but that is exactly what I was aiming for. <laughs> so Beth, my biggest piece of advice, this is something that I implement myself and it works really well for me. So hopefully it works for you as well. When I am making lesson slides, because this is huge for me. I know Bridget doesn't really use slides to teach mm-hmm. her lessons, but this is always how I've taught mine. I force myself to do the not so fun work at the beginning. So getting the content actually on the slides, getting the text, getting it kind of laid out and outlined the way that I need it. Then once that part is done, I let myself go to town doing the graphics and the fonts and all of that fun stuff. But usually at that point, because I'm so close to being done, I kind of limit what I actually change (laughs) because I just want to be done. So do what's hard now so that you can have the easy part later. That's like a constant reminder I tell myself. It's like hard now, easy later. Do the hard part now so that later on it's going to be easier for you. Um, and, and I also think using timers is a huge, huge time saver for that. Set a timer and be like, Hey, I'm going to have this lesson done in 45 minutes. Actively set the timer on your phone so you can see it counting down, get that hard stuff done. And then let's say you have 15 minutes left. That's what you get to do the fun stuff like during that time. Yeah, I think, um, and as Michelle mentioned, I don't necessarily use a lot of slides. So when I create my lessons, a lot of my lessons are just, Um, I will use my iPad quite a bit. And so I'll use other applications that I might have there. So I don't necessarily need to create anything. But when it comes to like putting things inside of my Schoology, this is kind of what I would view as like my slides because each like element inside of my Schoology has like its own purpose. But um, as she mentioned, just having your 
your main content completed. But I also think thinking about how you engage students and how you teach a lesson, right? We're always going to have an introduction to the lesson. You're always going to have a model. You're always going to have student practice where you can give feedback. You're always going to have an independent piece. So like for me, identifying those elements of the progression in which a lesson plan will take place is really, really helpful because I will pinpoint all of those pieces first build that and then kind of work in all the other fancy stuff afterwards. But I know for a fact that all those other pieces are going to get done. And I think that comes down to using a template, right? And that is one thing that saved me a ton of time is I had a set template that I would use for each different subject area. So I had math slides, science slides, social studies slides, and so on. And I would just stick to that template. And honestly, I started just keeping the colors the same. So like all my math slides were pink, all my science slides were green. And then it made it much easier because I wasn't worried about changing those things because I kept them consistent. And it kind of made my life easier in multiple ways because it made it faster to plan, I didn't waste time. And it made it easier for me to kind of keep things organized um, when I'd see them in my drive. And just remember, your students are not gonna get engaged by how pretty your slides looked your students are going to be engaged and interested in the lesson by the content in that you are teaching and how you are teaching that. So don't put so much focus on ever making everything super pretty. I mean, it's pretty for you, but as Michelle said, use a template, go with the basic stuff, keep it the way you like it, keep it nice and simple, and then build the engagement and the excitement around the content and the lesson. And then that's going to be the thing that gets your students excited. And I will, I'll, I'll just kind of defend Beth a little bit. Cause as you were saying that Bridget, it made me think about how I have those templates, but when I have those lessons that are very unique, um, kind of more of those like transformation type lessons, that's mm-hmm. where I get stuck on all the little yep. details. So for example, when I would do like my math bakery, trying to make the slides fit a bakery theme and like adding in like cafe music in the background and trying to find a font that fits, like it makes it look like it was written on the chalkboard. Like all of those little details is where you kind of get caught up in. Yeah, but that's not something that you're gonna do every day. Exactly. And do you so know what I mean? That's different. Save it for when you have those moments. Yeah. Okay, next TSH is from Adelise. Adelie says, my time-sucking hurdle is switching from task to task. Bridget, does that sound familiar? (laughs) I always find myself having a great idea, trying it, and then totally forgetting about the original task that I needed to have done. While sometimes I get back to it, most of the time I forget about it. P.S. Y'all are amazing and your podcast motivates me on days when I'm feeling low. And just so you know, Thursday is my favorite day of the week. (laughs) Oh, it's our favorite day of the week, too. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who are new listening, it's because we drop episodes on Thursday. That's why it's our favorite day of the week and it should be your favorite day, too. Um, But uh, Adelise, I, I, I resonate with everything that you say because that is sometimes me. I am definitely working to get out of that. And so one of the things that I can probably tell you is by utilizing Google Tasks, it has completely revolutionized how I go about completing the things that I need to do. Um, And so part of this, I guess, is multiple parts to this like entire problem. So the first thing is going to be establishing your to do's, right? And so we talked about in Michelle, you're gonna have to help me because you're so much better at numbers. It was the Google task. Is it 085? 
Um, you keep talking. I'm okay. going to so we, pull it up. <laughs> got it. So we have a Google task where it's the what, why, and how for teachers. But in there, not only do we discuss how to get started with Google tasks, but we also go into a deep dive of how we utilize them. So we talk about creating like a monthly list, a um, weekly list, and then a power list. And so when you spend the time in the very beginning, in the like the f- like forefront of all of this at the beginning of the month, and you build the goals and the things that you want to be able to accomplish, it's so much easier to kind of build your to-dos. And so that can help you stay really focused, especially when you're identifying what's going to be on your power list for that day, because it prevents you from task, like going from task to task. Did you find it? Um, I'm still in the process because my Google oh, Drive is she's being doing it. very slow. I think though it's 087. Okay. So just kind of keep that in mind. It's the Google tasks. We're thinking... Zero eight seven. All right. Yeah, so, I'm giving up on this because it is. I'm running Skype. I'm running GarageBand. I'm running all these like tabs. Overload. Yeah, it's not working. <laughs> it's overload. So I mentioned that there's multiple parts to this problem. So that's going to be the first one is kind of creating a system that allows for you to be able to identify the what the focus is for the day. The second part is going to be the little bit of tough love. So you have to start to build discipline. And we talk about that quite a bit. And building that discipline, you're going to have to build the stamina. So in order to have discipline and be able to do what you're supposed to be doing, you've got to build the stamina for it. And so that might take you a little bit to get used to and working for an extended period of time and focusing your brain on something. Like, so as soon as you feel like your brain is like switching to something else and be like, no, 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 no got to stop. I got to go back to what I'm supposed to be focusing on and get that done first. So you have to almost have a little bit of tough love as you're doing some of this, you know, with yourself is that's, you know, completely going back and forth and just reminding your brain, I got to finish this um, while also having some of those other elements that I talked about. Yeah, honestly, everything that you just said is exactly what came to mind for me. I think the biggest thing is that discipline. But Mm -hmm. I also think, and this kind of goes off of the first thing you were saying, Bridget, It sounds like these tasks, like what you're calling a task is actually a project, right? Like it's made up of all these different parts that have to get done. And so make sure that you are breaking it down into all those individual pieces. I think sometimes when we sit down and try to do too big of a task at one time, like too much of the project, it gets overwhelming. And yeah, we end up moving to something else. I think if you break it down small enough and you keep, as Bridget said, all of those to-dos organized, then you can only work on it for a little bit because you're going to complete just that one part of it before you do something else. And that's where that discipline comes in. Like You have to finish that full part, but it's going to be a smaller piece that's a lot more manageable and you're going to feel more motivated to work on that in comparison to like a big chunk if that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing that I feel like we forgot to mention is also setting deadlines for certain tasks. Mm-hmm. Because when you identify like, oh, this task needs to be done during by this date, this other one, it has like a week or two. That really helps as well to help you prevent from task switching because it, it helps you prioritize, you know, what do I need to get done first versus other items? Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think having deadlines is huge. Um, And it's going to, you know, it makes me think of what we always say about like, I don't know how it's going to get done, but somehow it always does. does. And sometimes that means doing things last minute before they're due. But as long as you get it done prior to that due date, it doesn't matter. Amen. 
Amen. Michelle, this one is, I love this one. (laughs) I love this TSH so much. So we're going to read a TSH from Becca. Becca says, making copies, exclamation mark. (laughs) (laughs) That is the whole TSH. Yeah. (laughs) Making copies is very, very time consuming. Okay. Couple Especially things. when you have to fight your, your copy machine. Yeah. Oh. So a couple things come to mind for me. Number one, try to recruit parent help as much as you can. Now, saying this, I realize that may not be possible this next school year. I think a lot of schools are limiting who is allowed in the building, but keep this in mind for the future, Okay try to find a copy parent. I didn't even know this existed when I first started teaching. It wasn't until I changed schools and I was like making all of these copies and my team teachers are like, wait, you don't have a copy parent? And I'm like, a what? (laughs) So at the beginning of the year, find a parent. Typically it's like a parent that works from home or maybe like a stay-at-home mom or something like that who will come in once a week and make your copies. And you establish this system where you basically have a bin and you will put the papers that you need copied. You will put like a sticky note on them or I even made these little like printable pieces. They were about the size of a sticky note, but it had check boxes. And so I would just check it and be like, yep, two-sided. I need it collated, like all of that. And you keep them in the bin and then that parent will basically come in, grab your bin, go do all the copies and then bring them back. Like it's phenomenal. However, if you can't find someone or you're under circumstances this year that prevent you from having visitors, I totally get it. My biggest recommendation is to plan ahead. You do not want to be making copies the day of. You want to be able to make copies like a week in advance. And so a lot of that comes from you have to already be planned out, right? You can't make copies if you don't know what you need copies of. So you have to establish that that workflow to get planned in advance. But when it comes to actually making the copies, first of all, try to organize them by similar type. So for example, if I had papers that I needed like double-sided and stapled, though those take a lot longer, right? So I would always have those at the end of my batch. First, I would want to copy anything that I needed to cut. That way, as it's popping out, I can grab them and be cutting them while the copier is still running and it's still making all of those copies. Also, that comes down to that whole like actually multitasking. We talk a lot about how most people do not multitask. They actually task switch. So multitasking works really well with making copies. While you queue all of your copies on the copier and they're just spitting out, you can be doing other things. You can bring papers with you to grade or you can have like things that you're laminating or cutting. I would always love to use the copier at a time when I knew other teachers were not using it. And in my building, most teachers made their copies in the morning. That's just the way that it was. So I loved to have like one day a week where I would stay a little bit later so I could go make all of my copies. Y'all, Friday afternoon, I'm telling you, Friday afternoon, is the day to make copies because no one else is there. Everyone's left the building. So I was willing to sacrifice like 30 minutes of my Friday to be able to make copies like super fast and not have people waiting on me. Just like when I was in college, I learned the day to do laundry was Thursday night because thirsty Thursday, everyone would go out on Thursdays. And here I was walking down the five flats of stairs with all of my laundry in a bag. And I'm like, ooh, all the washing machines are free. (laughs) Thirsty Thursday? You've never heard that? (laughs) 
That's when like all the college kids would go out on Thursday nights and I was not a partier. I did not go out. And that's when I would do my laundry. <laughs> that is great. That is great. I feel like everything that Michelle said, she just dropped the mic on 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 this. Like it was absolutely perfection as far as all of the the tips. The only other thing that I can think of is that I know just for me and for maybe other teachers that are out there, the afternoon like at the end of the day, go ahead and set out your materials or just look through your materials and reference your lesson plan at the same time. Mm -hmm. And just ensure that you have everything that you need so you're not waiting until the last minute to make any like missed copies that you're forgetting. Yep. Um, And that just will make things a little bit more simple. But I think everything that she says, I agree with. Stamp of approval. And I'm going to throw in one final little tip. Learn how to fix the copier, okay? (laughs) But... Don't let other people know that you know yep. how to fix the copier. <laughs> yep. So yep. here's what's funny. My team teacher, um, who I worked with all four years at my most recent school, loved her. So she was really good at fixing the copier. And the problem was, for a while, her classroom was right next to the copy room. Oh, no. And everyone knew. She knew how to fix the copier. So when it would jam, they'd pop in her room and they're like, hey, Lauren, like, can you come fix the copier? No. And it would suck so much of her time. So I slowly started figuring out how to how to fix it. And really, it's just following the directions on the machine. Like, It will guide you through it. It's not yeah. that hard. But I didn't let anyone know that I knew how to fix the machine. That way, people would never come and find me to fix the copier. <laughs> That is awesome. Ooh, that's some next level like brain manipulation right there. Okay. TSH from Jessica. Jessica says, going to the store for something you need the next day for a lesson and getting distracted by all the new school supplies slash target dollar spot. Girl, Jessica, (laughs) I was this teacher for the longest time like I was consumed by the target dollar spot and I would just buy all of the things I didn't know what I even was going to use it for but I was like oh this is pretty and I really want it and so now I'm going to just take it and maybe hopefully I can plan a lesson around it and so I would just hoard (laughs) all this stuff from the target dollar spot and at the end of the day I think you just got to build in and just say nope I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And just walk away from it. Because for me, it was the clutter, I think, that started to really signal and say, you've got to make changes because this is just too much. When I started finding difficulty of like spaces and bins and to like put stuff because everything was like crammed. And you know what crammed I'm talking about. I'm talking about like when you're trying to take out one of the containers and like three containers come falling out because it's like so tightly jam packed in there. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At some point, I feel like this is where you just have to tell yourself, no more. Just step away from it. Just stop. And you know what's really interesting? And I feel so proud. Michelle, I haven't bought anything from the Target dollar spot in over two years. I think I'm in the same boat. It feels good. It does feel so good. I think for me, like listening to like the Marie Kondo, like when she was coming out and it was like really, really popular. You remember that time. Mm-hmm. And I read the book, like I had listened to it on audiobook. like Trent and I both had listened to it. And um, ever since that moment, it's like just living more simply and not having so much stuff is really important to me. So I think you just got to kind of evaluate Jessica, like as far as where you know what do you want to do like do you want to have all this stuff like is that something that you want to do then kudos to you then set time and time to go to the target dollar spot to check out what they got but if that's not something that you want to be living with like with all this stuff in the clutter then you just kind of have to have that self what am I thinking of self-restraint 
self yeah. restraint. I mean, that's yeah, discipline. Yeah. Um, so I have two tips. Tip number one is to actually go in with a list, not a list in your head, but an actual list, whether it's on a sticky note or personally, I love to use the notes app on my phone. Yep. And before I get out of the car, I have written down exactly what I need. There is something about the satisfaction of actually crossing items off of the list or like clicking the little checkbox in the notes app that I feel like replaces the need for me to buy other stuff, right? Like I get enough satisfaction from crossing off the items that I needed to get that I don't feel the need to get other stuff. So try that first. The second thing, and this is, I don't think I've ever talked about this before. When I started transitioning from buying all the things at the Target dollar spot to not buying anything, (laughs) one of the things that I started doing is basically taking the money I was going to spend at the Target dollar spot and kind of like stashing it away. So when I would go to Target and I would go in and just buy what was on my list, I wouldn't buy any impulse items, I would give myself $10, okay? Because I figured that's probably what I would have spent like at the Target dollar spot. So in my notes app, I would keep like an ongoing list. So the first time I did it, I'd put $10. And then when I did it again, I would change it to $20. And when I did it again, I would change it to $30. And I would keep banking that money, even though it's my own money. Like I'm not actually giving myself $10. I'm just kind of keeping track of the times I did not spend extra money on stuff. Once I would get to $100, I would put that toward like either something big for my classroom or I would put it towards something I wanted for my personal life. So like if there was some type of new technology that I wanted or even like an experience type of thing, I would put the money toward that. And so for me, knowing the bigger picture of like, well, I'm actually saving up for this or I'm, I'm actually wanting to do this allowed me to kind of say no to some of those impulse items because I kept in mind what I actually really wanted. That's a really good tip. I like that idea like setting aside that money. I like that a lot. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go into the TSH for Lexi. And Lexi says, trying to be the perfect teacher and trying to have awesome lessons every single time. Okay. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. My sound stuff cut off there. Um, I could not hear you oh. at all, but <laughs> I, I caught on just... I, she was giving me a thumbs up and she was like, yeah, you're good. No, you're good. Move I was on. giving a thumbs up because the sound cut out and all of a sudden it came back. So I heard just um, the very tail oh. end of that, but just so we're on the same page. Okay, Lexi, <laughs> I think it's important to remember that our students, while they do love those like super extravagant lessons, because I think sometimes teachers try to say, oh, well, they never remember those. Yes, they do. Because my math bakery was something that I always did with Mm -hmm. fourth grade. And my kids would go on to like fifth, sixth grade and they would still talk about it. And they would tell their younger siblings and their younger siblings would be in my class and they're like, I know we're going to do math bakery. And so, yes, they do remember those. However, what they also remember is just who you were as a teacher, right? It's not about every single lesson. They're going to remember those extravagant ones, but other than that, nah, (laughs) they ain't going to remember it. But what they remember is more your personality. And so the things that my kids always talk about is they say that I'm funny, which I appreciate. Um, Apparently bribery goes a long way. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But they remember that I'm funny. They remember the energy that I had when I was teaching. 
and you want to know where that energy came from because I am not slaving over ta- of creating all these like crazy lessons the night before. I'm creating a basic lesson and then I'm putting my heart and soul into actually teaching it. I feel like sometimes we we overdo all of the extra stuff when really we have that inside of us and we're able to really bring that out in our teaching. Bridget, what do you think? I think when we think about the perfect teacher, Lexi, the first thing I would ask you is what is a perfect teacher? What do you identify as a perfect teacher? Because for me, I think everybody out there will see something just a little bit different. Like everybody's perfect teacher is going to be different. And I think first, if you're in any way, shape or form doing this, because I know I do this quite a bit, is compare myself to other teachers that I see online. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. The second thing I would say is to identify what is your perfect teacher and what you want to strive to be. Is it that you want to be somebody who's caring? Is it that you want to be somebody who remembers everybody's birthdays and, you know, that takes the time to sit there and chat and talk to the kids? Is it that you want to feel as though you have all your things together for every lesson and you're not scrambling for things? You have to identify what is perfect for you. And for me, um, what I what I did in the beginning was I was trying to be other teachers, to be honest. Like when I first started teaching, I was looking at what other teachers were doing online and I wanted to be them. And so I found myself living somebody else's perfect teacher. And it took some time to realize that I just need to be me. Like I need to be who I am. And that was the best way. Like I I am very energetic. I'm very theatrical when I teach, which is very interesting because I don't feel like I'm a, th- am I, I'm not a theatrical yes, person. You are. Yes, you Michelle, are. You know me. Yes. <laughs> Stop you it. You can be very dramatic with I things. I am not. I am not dramatic. Oh my gosh, she just called me dramatic. I'm being honest. (laughs) So I feel like I'm very theatrical when I teach um, and I'm very excited about things and I am very passionate and I like to laugh and I like to get to know my kids and I like to hang out with them and I like to play games with them. And so the things that really bring me joy, the things that are making me happy are going to be the things that I focus on. Now, am I going to be the teacher that always has all my lessons together and remembers to like post all of my things? Absolutely not, because I will still to this day have students tell me, Mrs. Spackman, you forgot to post the quiz. I can't get access. And I'm like, whoops, my bad. <laughs> and you know what? I'm OK with that because for me, that's not my priority. That's not my perfect teacher. For me, I just want to um, be the one that is caring and loving and gets to know the kids and spends quality quality time to them. So I think you just, long story short, you got to identify what is your perfect teacher and just kind of stick with that. Find, find, Find the things that bring you the most joy and not try to do all the things because it's not yeah, possible. I mean, I feel like what we both just echoed there is the whole like happy teacher, happy students type of philosophy. Like yeah. if you're stressing yourself yeah. out with trying to make everything perfect, it's going to show to your students and then they're not going to have as good of a time. So last one, <laughs> this TSH is from Crystal. Crystal says, Overwhelming imposter syndrome when it comes to ability Mm. to teach. Sometimes the enormity of how much work you actually do as a teacher is so large that it seems impossible to surmount. I feel like this goes really well off of what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it is hard. 
Um, and I think we all have those feelings of imposter syndrome, um, especially when it comes to the content that we're teaching, you know, like, ugh, like, I am I really able to teach this stuff? Like I, I was researching what it meant, you know, the night before, like, how am I even capable of actually teaching this? Um, I think at the end of the day, for me, a lot of it when it comes to imposter syndrome is that I have to kind of close off everything else that's going around me. I feel like the times when I am feeling imposter syndrome is because I find myself on social media way more often. Um, and so when I can take myself off of social media and really just appreciate the time that I have with my kids, that's when I start to feel less of that. Um, but it is, I mean, we do have a lot of work that we do as a teacher, um, and it is really stressful and overwhelming. And I think you just have to kind of identify the strategies and what works best for you in accomplishing those tasks so that you do feel successful as a teacher. Yeah. I think I've had those moments when I felt like I had so much work to do that I couldn't focus on like the actual aspect of teaching, right? Like you're so busy trying to plan the next lesson that you're not present in the moment when you're actually teaching. So I know personally, I have to constantly just remind myself of that why, why it is that I love to do what I do. And as hard as it is, really trying to forget about all of that stuff and just be present in the moment with my students. And I think it's something that takes time. It takes practice in order to actually do because it's hard to let go of all of those to do's. But I think just even just taking that moment to be like, you know what, forget everything else. I'm going to make this the best day possible for my students just by being there, having fun with them, like actually listening to them, all of that. I think when you do that and you see the results, like you see how excited your kids are and how much better they understand the lesson, right? Like those lessons when I'm actually present in my teaching, it, even if it wasn't something super fancy, I feel like it goes over so much better. I think when you see those results, it becomes very motivational to like keep doing that. Um, and then when it comes to the actual imposter syndrome, I think what Bridget said about staying off of social media, stop comparing yourself to others and remembering that you are the only you and no one else can do it exactly the way that you can. And you will be the only teacher that your students ever have that is exactly like you. And when I think back to each one of my teachers, there was something different that I loved about each one of them. And hardly ever was it anything with like specific lessons. It was their personality. It was things that they did that was unique with the class. It's all of those little things. And I think keeping those little things in mind and remembering that they do make a difference is important. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So we hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to some of these TSHs. I know that we just really wanted to be able to answer some of the time-sucking hurdles that you guys have submitted to us. And we just don't have that ability because you guys give us so many and there's so many great things that we want to be able to help with. Um, But thank you for those of you who have submitted a TSH. If you have submitted one, just keep listening to into the episodes. Hopefully yours will be featured. If not, we'll be doing some of these, I think maybe in the future. I really enjoyed doing this. Yeah, I feel like we should do these more often. Yeah, we'll definitely do these more often. So while we're talking about TSHs, you can go and submit your time-sucking hurdle over on our website, teachingonthedouble.com. We would also love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get notified every time we drop our next episode and make sure to leave a review over on iTunes. It really helps us to get into the ears of so many other teachers out there and we loved hearing from all of you.
there's Walter. He loves hearing from you too. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> so close, guys. He started barking. This is what happens when you have a dog. You ready for that, Michelle? Michelle wants to I am ready. Dog. I am it's ready. It's going to be exciting. So then we're going to have two dogs that we're going to have to fight. All right. So until next time, everyone. Be timely. Stay organized. And be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.